0: CHAPTER 35 OF HOUSE, GARDEN, AND FIELD BY L. C. MEAL This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. COMMON TREES How to tell the common trees To be able to name the common trees at sight is a necessary part of nature knowledge. Country-bred children learn to tell the trees as easily as they learn to tell the faces of their neighbors, but town children often grow up totally ignorant of them, missing thereby a piece of useful knowledge and a capital lesson in observation. Every naturalist ought to know the common trees by their leaves, by their winter boughs, by their buds, or even by a piece of bark. He ought to be able to tell them at a field's length, and this either in winter or summer. If he should lack this familiar knowledge of trees, he would find it useful to compare the trees of his own countryside, one by one, with a description, and to do this both when the branches are in leaf and when they are bare. Those who do not know the names of the commonest trees, even in full leaf, are advised to take a country walk with some better informed friend, who will be good-natured enough to name every tree that is passed on the road. Do not suppose that it is enough to hang up in the schoolroom a frame in which the leaves of the common trees are exhibited and named. Knowledge, supplied without effort on your part, does not stick. Alder family of catkin bearers. A small tree, usually springing up on the banks of streams, the floating seeds being transported by water. An alder may be recognized at any time of year by the old black, woody cones, which remain on the tree after the seeds are shed. The catkins and cones of the next year are plainly visible throughout the winter and may be found even earlier. The young twigs are sticky, resinous at a later time, Foliage rather dense, leaves dark green, broad, blunt tipped, stalked, irregularly toothed. Buds set spirally, stalked, protected by two scales, resinous. Old bark black. Poplars, family of catkin bearers. Closely allied to the willows, as the catkins and capsules show. The poplars are often tall trees, especially the Lombardy poplar. Leaves broad, long stalked, often springing in bunches from side shoots. The chief groups of poplars are 1. Aspen poplars. The upper part of the leaf stalk is flattened from side to side, and the leaf is on this account ready to quiver with the slightest breeze. All the leaves of a tremulous poplar do not quiver. Those which spring from the upper side of the branch are smaller, have short leaf stalks, and move little. It is the lower, hanging leaves which quiver and they are enabled to do this by the compression of the leaf stalk in a direction perpendicular to the plane of the leaf blade. When the lower leaves are agitated by wind, they move chiefly from side to side, the leaf surface facing the light all the time, but deviations from the rule are frequent. Possibly the shading of the lower leaves by the upper ones is thus avoided. The nectaries common at the bases of the early leaves of a poplar branch are wanting in the tremulous leaves. In aspen poplars, the leaf buds are resinous and pointed, the flower buds blunt. White poplar, which belongs to this group, has its leaves silky beneath. Old trunks of white poplar have a gray bark with large transverse lenticels, reminding us of birch, and very different from the fissured bark of the next group, though the base of an old trunk of white poplar may be fissured too. In windswept places, the aspen poplar slopes regularly away from the wind and the side branches which spring from the upper side of the trunk are larger than those which spring from the opposite side. 2. Black poplars. Leaves quivering, buds and young shoots sticky, bark fissured. The Lombardy poplar runs up to a great height, and its branches ascend instead of growing outwards, hence the familiar foxtail shape of this tree. 3. Balsam poplars. Leaf stalks cylindrical throughout, leaves not quivering, buds and young shoots sticky. Willows, family of catkin bearers. We have many willows, which differ much in stature and in leaf form. Some are big, much-branched trees, others are small trees, others upright shrubs, while a few are prostrate shrubs, found only at considerable heights on mountains. The tall and spreading species are the crack willow and the white willow. Pollard willows are mostly white willows, which have been lopped at eight feet or so above the ground and thus caused to send out a crown of young shoots. The sallow is a common hedge tree, conspicuous in early spring by its many golden catkins. The osier is often cultivated for the sake of its pliant widths. The bay willow is a small tree usually planted and most frequent in hilly districts. All willows are dioecious with completely separated flowers, They may bear either catkins or spikes of seed-bearing capsules, but not both. Leaves very various, often long, narrow, pointed, and sessile, without leaf stalks. In the bay willow and the sallow, they are stalked and rather broad. They are silky beneath in the sallow and osier, silky on both sides in young leaves of the white willow, the hairs on the upper surface being cast early. Buds set spirally, smooth, apparently protected by a single bud scale, really by two scales joined together. Old bark fissured in most, rarely flaking. Beech, family of cupule bearers with cupuled fruits. Branches often running out to a great length as slender, tapering shoots, pointing upwards, outwards, or downwards, according to the part of the tree from which they spring. Foliage in sheets, connect this with the arrangement of the buds. Leaves thin, shiny, ovate, The veins parallel on either side, but set at an angle with the midrib, margin entire, often remaining on the boughs after withering, especially in young trees. Buds long and pointed, covered with shining brown scales, and set alternately to right and left of the shoot, at angles of about 45 degrees. Old bark smooth, dark gray. Oak, family of cupule bearers, crown broad and compact on a short, thick stem, if growing in the open, branches stout and crooked, often bending at sharp angles, the chief branches of the crown almost horizontal, the leafy twigs often ascending, furrowed, and slightly buttressed beneath the buds, foliage scattered in small bunches, standing out from the twig on all sides, leaves widening towards the tip with sinuous margin, often remaining on the boughs after withering, especially in young trees. Buds blunt and short. Reddish, set spirally on the twig, often crowded at the tip. The scales numerous and crowded. Old bark rough and fissured. Common elm, nettle family. A tall tree with erect stem, often branching little till near the top, where it sends out a close, leafy crown with many upright branches. Trees with big side branches however are not rare crowded small branches are often given off from the main trunk and the larger branches are sent up from the roots the flowers appear in spring before the leaves the winged fruits are conspicuous in june the common elm seldom ripens seed in england most frequently in the southeastern counties and there not every year the twigs soon become fissured by expansion towards the extremity of a young twig many fine silicious hairs clothe the bark which elm. Nettle family. Differs from the common elm in the trunk, which branches much lower down and more freely, in the larger leaves and in the fruit, which is less deeply notched, and bears the nut in the center. In the common elm, the nut is a little above the center. The twigs stouter, not fissured, but smooth up to a diameter of several inches. Ash. Olive family. A tall, handsome tree. Flowers in bunches appearing before the leaves, staminate, pistillate, or with both stamens and pistil. The large dark purple anthers are often conspicuous. Fruit of bunches of winged nuts ripening in autumn and dispersed in winter. Some trees fruit abundantly, while others never fruit at all, so that there is a tendency to separation of the sexes. Twigs stout, greenish, smooth, with buttresses below the leaves or buds, often upturned at their ends. Leaves appearing late and falling early, in opposite pairs. Pinnate, with four to seven pairs of leaflets and an odd one. The segments acute, the margin toothed. In autumn and early winter, the bare leaf stalks and flower stalks often stand out prominently for a time. Buds in opposite pairs, or terminal. Dark brown or black, scaly, the scales of the terminal buds keeled. Old bark, greenish, fissured. Horse chestnut, maple family. A tall, bell-shaped tree, when undistorted, twigs stout, leaves in opposite pairs, digitate, usually of seven leaflets, buds in opposite pairs, with a large terminal bud, scaly and sticky near the time of bursting, old bark, rather smooth, gray. Sycamore maple, maple family. A tall, shapely tree, with rounded crown and horizontal foliage masses, not true foliage sheets with the leaves in one plane, on the lower boughs. Green flowers and hanging bunches in early summer, succeeded by winged fruits attached to each other in couples, the wings being set at an angle, often a right angle. The fruits dispersed by wind in autumn. Leaves large, five-lobed, palmate in opposite pairs. Buds large, in opposite pairs, scaly, the terminal bud often larger. Old bark smooth, dark gray. Hedge maple, maple family. A small tree differing from sycamore maple in having its flower branches erect. The wings of the double fruit in the same straight line and the bark rough. Sycamore maple, hedge maple, horse chestnut and ash are the only common trees with opposite leaves. Horse chestnut and ash have completely divided leaves and may be at once distinguished by this mark from the other two. Lime, lime family. A tall, freely branching tree. The flowers, which appear in June or July, are scented and abound in honey. They are furnished with a long bract, which facilitates dispersal of the fruit by wind. Foliage dense, in sheets. Connect this with the arrangement of the buds. Leaves heart-shaped, with drawn-out tips, often unequal-sided. The margin, finely serrate. Buds, too ranked, alternate, somewhat pointed old bark remaining smooth for a long time and showing the lenticels. Some common coniferous trees. Coniferous trees are nearly all evergreen and have their seeds concealed in scaly cones. Each scale usually consists of two parts, a fertile scale in contact with the seeds and just beneath this, a cover scale. One of the two parts may be wanting or small or both may be well developed and appear on the surface of the cone. Besides the ordinary branches, which lengthen indefinitely, small spurs may be formed, which remain very short and bear a small number of leaves. The scotch fir has needle-shaped leaves, which spring in pairs from the leaf spurs. The cover scales are very small and do not reach the surface of the cone. The fertile scales are thickened at their free ends. The cone does not ripen till after the second year. The silver fir takes its name from the silver-gray color of the old bark. No leaf spurs are formed. The leaves are flattened, and though really springing from all sides of the branch, become twisted into a horizontal double comb. The cones stand upright on the branches and show the down-pointing cover scales externally. The scales are not thickened. The cone ripens in one year. Silver fir cones, unlike those of scotch fir and spruce, break up when ripe. The Norway spruce or spruce fir is somewhat like the silver fir in general appearance. There are no leaf spurs and the leaves form a double comb. The cones hang downwards and do not show the cover scales externally. The fertile scales are not thickened at their free ends. The cone ripens in one year. The larch is most easily distinguished by its deciduous leaves. Leaf spurs are present. The leaves are scattered on the young branches and clustered on the spurs. The scales of the cone are not thickened. The cone ripens in one year. The yew has no leaf spurs, and the leaves form a double comb. The flowers are completely separated, so that a tree bears only pollen or only seeds. The cone contains a single seed, which is sunk in a red, fleshy cup. Apple and pear trees, rose family. Most people, even if town-bred, can pick out certain trees as either apple or pear, but some fail to distinguish the two. The following marks will be of use, but do not hold good in every case. Apple, a low spreading tree, leaves woolly beneath, young twigs hairy, flower bunch spreads from a point, umbel, petals rosy outside, anthers yellow. Pear, a taller more pyramidal tree, leaves not woolly, young twigs bare, flower bunch spreads from an axis, corumb, petals white on both sides, anthers red or purple. Plum and cherry trees, rose family. Though these trees often look very different from one another, it is not easy to find a certain means of distinguishing them when not in flower or fruit. The plum has, I think, always hairs on the leaves, at least on the veins of the underside, but the leaves of a cherry are perfectly smooth and shining. The long, transverse lenticels on the brown, shining bark are fairly characteristic of cherry. Native and Introduced Trees It is impossible to say with any certainty which of the trees usually planted in England are truly native and would flourish here if man had never interested himself in the matter. In remote times, the woods probably consisted exclusively of oak, beech, birch, and scotch fir, the beech being perhaps restricted to the chalk hills of the south of England. Ashes were probably dotted about the limestone hills. Alders followed the courses of the streams. Willows of several species flourished under a great variety of conditions and at all levels. There were plenty of hazel copses on stony ground. Here and there a mountain ash, a hawthorn, or a wild cherry would spring from a crevice in the rock where a seed had once been dropped by a bird. Under severe conditions, oak at last nearly all competitors by reason of the toughness of its wood and the open character of its foliage qualities eminently advantageous in windswept countries. Birch is even better able than oak to endure storms of wind and rain. Its wood, though tough, is flexible, and the young boughs often hang down. Oak profits by its rigidity, birch by its flexibility. In the scantiness of its foliage, birch goes far beyond the oak. Long before the oak and the birch give up the struggle, evergreen trees of a special kind come in, Their leaves are not broad like the leaves of the evergreen trees in Mediterranean countries, but small and needle-shaped, giving as little hold to wind and as little lodgment to snow as possible. The deciduous trees, as the cold increases, become dwarfed and at length prostrate. On a hillside in the Dovre or in Lapland, you will often find that the only trees are willows and birches, which do not rise nearly so high above the ground as the grass in an English meadow. Sycamore, lime, the great willows and poplars, elm and witch elm are all more or less doubtful natives. Spanish chestnut, horse chestnut, and walnut, besides many others, are known to have been introduced by man. All our horse chestnuts, for example, are said to be descended from a tree which was brought to Constantinople in 1557, probably from some part of Turkey. End of chapter 35